welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. I am once again practicing social distance here in the studio <laughs> and far, far away in another studio. We have our good co-host, Tom. How you doing, sir? Good. You know, I think we kind of got this down early, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Podcasters were ahead of the curve when it comes to social distancing. I am a little concerned that when this is all said and done with, there's even going to be more podcasts to uh, contend with out there and compete with. No one can compete. There's going to be a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands that are going to realize that, oh, I can just order stuff from Amazon and start a show. (laughs) See fun facts with shoestrings. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we... um, as far as the show goes, obviously everybody knows by now, uh, well, this will be in two weeks. You know, We record two weeks prior to when you actually hear the episode, but I'm assuming we're still going to be knee-deep in the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, nothing's really going to change for the show, except we are a little more limited on uh, the movies that we discuss. They have to be something that's through some streaming service, and, well, a streaming service that we both have access to um because all the libraries are closed down which was always my you know if i could get the actual blu-ray or dvd from a library uh that's where i always tried to get the stuff and that's where sometimes some of the more rarer stuff could be dug up you know that you couldn't find on amazon or could yeah and for those that were listening to the last podcast you're gonna be a little uh upset that we talked about doing a max von saito or sit out. Actually, this is this is funny. I meant to tell you this before we started recording. You know, we we did announce that we were going to do on the show. We uh, did announce that we were going to. We talked about doing a yeah. You know, talk about a couple movies from uh from that particular actor after he just had recently passed away. Uh, I managed to cut all that out. But here's the funny <laughs> bit. We we talked and joked about how Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea ends so abruptly. Yeah. Our show kind of ends really abruptly. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you that enjoyed uh, the previous one, when you hear this, <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> well, you know, go with the uh, trend in the movies that we've been watching lately. Exactly. Yeah, per- perfect. Yeah, so we we may uh, come back around and visit a couple of those films later on. Oh, I definitely like to. Um He'll be missed anyway, but uh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun to revisit those. So anyway, uh, there hasn't been a lot of entertainment news because there hasn't been a lot of entertainment. (laughs) You know, Hollywood, of course, has been pretty much shut down as well. 
interesting bit about the movie theaters Tom was just talking about before we started recording is that their decision to take some releases rather than continually postponing them, they're actually going to go ahead and put them directly to streaming services. I guess it's a matter of this is going to sit around and make nothing or we can release it and make something. Well, of course. Uh, and I, I think that there's a lot of goodwill that comes along with doing stuff like this. Um, after all, uh, anyone making content is in the same world as the rest of us. And you cannot make content when you cannot be in the presence of other people. I don't know how you shoot a film or make a TV show where nobody's allowed to be more than six feet from each other. So (laughs) (laughs) it does make it a little bit more difficult. Uh, yeah, the love story just doesn't play well when you can only be six feet from each other. (laughs) That's the first, although there was a movie that did it. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, what was the uh, sleepless in Seattle? I mean, come on. That was, they were in, completely different cities and, and and listening to each other on the radio right sure totally <laughs> i was gonna say that, right up until that end right well, yeah <laughs> there you go i i'm fairly certain we will see some movies that take place in this time you know and they'll they'll spin it they will do the the long distance uh we met online and fell in love online and finally got together i mean even if not like major motion picture, this is the kind of stuff you're going to find on the Hallmark Channel or Lifetime Network or something like that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm sure there are those that are gaining inspiration as we speak to uh, how to tell a story when we all have to be apart. Yes, or or in the case of like Full Moon Features, they're making Corona Zombies. <laughs> Which I'm guessing is probably a film that they already had mostly in the can, and they just went and like did a little bit of ADR and shot some a little bit of extra and like <laughs> squeezed it together and said, "Yeah, yeah, it's all about the coronavirus." <laughs> Absolutely, they, they had totally planned. Yeah, uh, we we didn't fudge this at all. Yeah, they're turning that one around a little too fast. So I'm thinking that was something they already had. I'm waiting for the film that tells the story. Of the man who is trapped under all of the toilet paper that he bought to hoard. (laughs) What am I going to do with this stuff? 287 hours under shark. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, though, not a lot of entertainment news or anything. Uh, We unfortunately did have a, uh, an actor pass away. That was, it was a fun actor. Uh, uh, Lyle Wagner passed away at the age of, I think it was 84. Uh, most people, well, it kind of depends. I mean, he was a little bit of a character actor. He starred on a few different, uh, not starred, but he appeared on a few different shows until actually being cast on the Carol Burnett show and was there for seven years from 1967 to 1974 as one of the cast on the old Carol Burnett show. Which is honestly where I remember him most from. That's where I probably remember him first from for sure because i used to watch that it used to air in the middle of the afternoon or something like that or maybe like at five o'clock or something like that on our local uhf channel first remember him from i remember carol burnett but uh yeah that would have been all rerun for me and all that uh um but i do remember the wonder woman series i remember him playing steve trevor 
and I didn't know this until I read in this article. He was apparently kind of one of the uh, one of the actors uh, in consideration for the 1960s Batman. That would have been an <laughs> that, interesting choice. I trying to imagine anyone other than Adam West in that is just it it boggles the mind. I just I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's one one of those things you'd have to just kind of put yourself back in that time. If he yeah, had been yeah. in the role and you had never known anything about Adam West, um, would that have worked? But, I mean, Adam West is such a staple at this point. Uh, I mean, it's almost cliche. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm just kind of imagining him how he acted as Steve Trevor. And I'm trying to imagine that as Batman. And like, well, it just... That doesn't work for me. <laughs> Not as no. well as Adam West as Adam West, you know? No. Well, and then maybe that's why he did not get the role versus Adam West. <laughs> These things do happen. Yeah, and after uh, after Wonder Woman, he he returned to just being you know a character actor. Uh, appeared on Mork and Mindy, The Love Boat, uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, Simon and Simon, uh, Hardcastle and McCormick. I mean, so he kept busy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a face that you we would have seen pretty much anywhere at any time. He just right. didn't have a steady gig. <laughs> yeah, he worked all the way up, and he finally he retired in two thousand and five. Uh, his last uh, job was on a TV series called uh, War at Home, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, awesome. He obviously kept himself busy. Fun guy. I, I just, yeah, he was kind of like the, uh, one of the, the one of the few uh, straight men on the Carol Burnett show. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I just can't imagine, just like we were saying, I can't imagine anyone other than Adam West and Batman. I really can't imagine anyone other than him as Steve Trevor in that Wonder Woman, you know? Uh, but like you were saying, had it been someone else, I'd be saying the same thing, but... Right. You can't you can't take yourself out of that moment, but uh, yeah, no, he was a lot of fun. And uh, as the straight man on the Carol Burnett show with uh, Tim Conway... Um, Harvey Corman. Yeah. No. And that show, I don't know if, if there's a lot of people that maybe have never seen the Carol Burnett show, you owe it to yourself to go and dig some of that up because it is some of the funniest television that has ever existed. Very much so. <laughs> she was a very uh, funny woman and uh, that whole show was amazing. Absolutely. And it, you find a, a best of or something like that. And I guarantee you, you will have tears streaming down your face. And it's, it's the kind of comedy that it holds up. Yeah, it's ageless. It's absolutely ageless comedy because it is just it's corny screwball and just talented people and it's a bunch of people that were trying really hard to crack ca crack up their castmates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so much they they wanted to make the audience laugh, but not as much as they wanted to make the other people on stage laugh, and, and, including Lyle Wagner. <laughs> yeah, and, and the harder they tried, uh, the funnier the audience just thought it was if they could get yes. each other you were done <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah that's about it for the news uh, i guess with that we'll go ahead and take a little break here and listen to a promo for one of the other podcasts that are soon to be competing for all these new <laughs> up-and-comers that'll be coming around the pike and when we return we're going to look at 1995's outbreak
vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. In a remote African jungle, a small monkey is captured. Bound for a pet store in America, the animal carries a deadly virus. Now, I know that some of us have doubts about what we're about to do. We'd be less than human if we didn't. But the fate of the nation, perhaps the world, is in our hands. We cannot, we dare not refuse this burden. I'm confident that each of you will do his duty. God forgive us. Your town is being quarantined. We got 19 dead. You got 100 more infected. It's spreading like a brush fire. What are you talking about? If one of them's got it, then 10 of them have got it now. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, we have a very interesting problem. Bug gets out of there. 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. I'm leaving with the team in an hour. From the heart of a small California town. Damn it, Sam. I want to save these people, same as you. To the inner circle of power in Washington. The most optimistic projection for the spread of the virus is this 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. The greatest medical crisis of all time. We can't stop it. Begins. to remain calm. Many people are dying and are going to continue to die unless we find this monkey. There will be panic the likes of which we have never seen. There you are. Attention, Portland residents, citizens of San Diego, residents of Atlanta, Denver residents of Detroit, Dallas residents. Yeah, this choice was um <laughs> Well, I'm guessing we're doing the same thing many, many other movie uh, review podcasts are doing. Sure. You know, they're going back and finding the older films, uh, The Outbreak, The Contagion. Uh, there's dozens of films, I think, at this point that they could have chosen. I kind of went went back to what I consider and what I can remember is kind of being one of the first. At least one of the first memorable uh Mm-hmm. And the one that yeah, got the uh, the big box office star treatment. Yeah, and the, uh, the acknowledgments and everything. And I remember it being a pretty big hit. Uh, I was trying to remember if I saw this actually in the theater. I have a vague recollection that I might have seen it in the theater. I do know that I did. Did you? Yes. Uh, I recall having seen it in the theater. Um, I'm not quite sure what motivated it. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what would have brought me to the theater for this particular one, but I, yeah, I just had the vaguest memory of maybe of seeing it in a the theater. 
you were talking about the, uh, you know, getting the big box office and the star treatment. This also kind of got the William Castle treatment a little bit. If I remember right, some of the theaters uh, during the uh, premieres actually had like uh, sprayers built into the seats. Oh, really? So, so in the in the scene we'll talk about later where the guy coughs in the movie theater, you get a spritz no of water. Way. With I did not a spritz know of that. water would go over the audience. Oh yes. my god. Apparently, uh, I went to too low budget of a theater to to get that experience. Oh yeah, and I'm sure that was probably one of the things that when it premiered in L.A. or New York or something like that, it's not going to. By the time it gets to Ohio, they <laughs> yeah they don't do that kind of stuff anymore. And all the surprise is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I I I'm almost positive I heard that. Um, if I'm wrong, if anyone knows that, if if that was just uh, hearsay and it didn't really happen, I'll, you'll have to excuse me. But I'm almost positive I didn't read it anywhere. Uh, online recently so it's just something i remember from when this came out so yeah uh, other than seeing it whenever it was that i saw it i haven't watched this film since so if i saw it in the theater i saw it in 1995 if i didn't see it in the theater i saw it in 1996 <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen anything of this film since then yeah it would have been when you you got it on blockbuster and i i can honestly say the same like i, I don't recall a time where it would have been on TV and I caught it. Um, it was one of those, um, I, I'll be honest, I remember I remember enjoying it when I saw it in the theater, but I was kind of done after that. Like, Yeah, it wasn't anything I felt like I needed to revisit. Uh, and honestly, if this, you know, this pandemic hadn't come around, I can't say <laughs> I would have dug it up again either. But obviously that's all been in the news. I myself, as you might be able to hear in my voice a little bit, am still suffering from something. I had, uh, I thought it was just allergies, you know, a week ago. I think it still is. Or maybe I had a little bit of a cold or flu. I'm pretty positive I didn't have COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't have any of the telltale signs. One can only hope that that was not the case. Yeah. If I did, I'm a survivor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for all of us to just eventually get tested so that we know whether we had it or not. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, by the time we get we get around to actually being able to be tested, we'll find out whether we we had it. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah, coming into it after being this long, I had no real thought of whether or not I was going to enjoy it. I was good, I was curious to see whether it, you know, like you sir saying, mm -hmm. I remember liking it yep. way back when. Uh, I was curious to see if it would hold up, you know, today, uh, what I would think about it. And I guess we can go in and, and start talking about, cause honestly, I have a hard time and I posted this when I, uh, kind of checked into it and I posted that I was watching it on uh, Twitter and, and, and Facebook. I kind of can't bury the lead on what I think is this film's biggest problem. Cause I think this film's biggest problem is the star. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, do tell, uh, or do you want to well, do the synopsis? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, sorry, yes, I did. I, I realized as I sat down to record, I hadn't uh, written a, a synopsis yet, so I hammered one out real quick. A virus out of Africa makes its way to U.S. shores with an illegally imported monkey. This virus has a twenty-four hour incubation period and a hundred percent mortality rate. An army doctor, played by Dustin Hoffman, and his scientist ex-wife Renee Russo. And their team, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Kevin Spacey, 
fight to save a small California town that has been stricken by the deadly virus. It is a race against time and a corrupt general who has been developing this virus as a weapon to find the host and the anti-serum to stop the town from being destroyed by fire. That's it in a nutshell. That is it in a nutshell. (laughs) And yes, I think the biggest problem with this film is Dustin Hoffman. Oh my gosh, I couldn't stand him while I watched this film. He's awful in this. This is an example of an actor just reading lines. That's how it came to me. It was like, I'm going to read this line, and then I'm going to walk over here, and I'm going to read this other line. Now I'm going to go over here and look at you in the face, and I'm going to read this other line. Oh, he was, I thought he was awful. Yeah, no, I, I like, everything to do with the Rene Russo uh, relationship was tortured. Like, the thing with the dogs, the thing with the, uh, with the, fact that they're going through the final parts of the divorce and I don't feel like he feels a thing about any of it. <laughs> He's devoid of any emotion about almost anything. Yeah, there are moments where he's yelling about stuff, but I don't feel like he gives a I don't believe damn it. Damn about any of it. <laughs> no, he's yelling, but it's kind of like just because you raise your voice doesn't mean I think I just, I still don't believe it. I don't believe that you believe what you're saying. Right. And, you know, Dustin Hoffman is supposed to be like one of these, I don't know, many people hold him up as being one of these great actors. And, you know, I'm sure he's done things that are great, but it not this. No. <laughs> no, uh, no, which is, uh, which is a, the, the thing that was kind of disappointing because, uh, while I, I haven't rewatched this one, it has stuck in my memory uh, rather mm-hmm. well. Their their depiction of the uh, um, the disease as it takes hold in Africa and and, this, and how just torturous this thing is. In fact, I actually rewatching it, I remembered it grosser than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because I mean, I just pictured this liquefaction of bodies. And, and all that with the way that this was uh, going through any populace that it infected. Mm-hmm. It was, in, it, it, I remember it scarier than it ended up playing out. And maybe, maybe this day and age right now, us being in the middle of a pandemic as we're watching this and talking about it, maybe, uh, maybe an actual dose of reality <laughs> versus this fantasy takes a bit yeah. of the punch out of it. I will say that this film, uh, I think it does a fairly decent job of kind of conveying the sort of uh, the panic of, you know, the reality and the, and the panic of, of the general populace, sort of the, uh, the confusion, the, oh, not going to worry about it because it's, it's just a bug and then all of a sudden it's something to worry about and then it's a panic and, and what do you mean we can't leave the town and we got people trying to escape the quarantine. I, I think all that is actually done pretty well. No, I thought so too. Uh, and I mean, breaking into an actual scene about that, uh, I really liked the part where we started following a mother who happen to have symptoms and she has to be taken away from yes taken from the home from her family and you kind of watch her go through the process of being herded into this camp and coming out the other side <laughs> yeah 
uh, yeah, the scene with her, you know, she's got two kids and a husband and, you know, she has to pack up and she leaves and the kid goes to try to hug the mom and the dad has to hold the kid back. Yes. Uh, and it's like, that's actually pretty powerful because we know, well, while some of the public may not have been really made aware of how dangerous this is, we know. Yeah. And so we feel, and we, we know that she's, these, these three kids or these two kids and this husband probably not going to see their mother again. I like, that was a pretty powerful scene. And actually, since you brought up uh, how uh, robotic uh, Dustin Hoffman moved through that, um, he was just the husband. And I felt he, his portrayal of the moment when he's pulling his daughter back and uh, watching his wife go out the door, that had more power in it just that scene than anything that the lead did. During, yeah. During no, the entire yeah, I com- movie. I completely agree. <laughs> uh, this scene, uh, the, the couple, the one guy who, uh, you know, uh, smuggles this monkey out of this, uh, whatever this was. I, I don't even know what this, this shipping center was. Right. Um, and he, of course, flies home to meet his girlfriend. He's sick as a dog. They're both now, you know, inflicted with this virus. They're in the hospital and they're, they're in beds, you know, next to each other. And he dies right next to her. And she's like, oh my God, he's dead. You know, she's crying. Um, she's in complete panic state. That was another scene that was kind of like, oh my God. Yeah. No. (laughs) First of all, why did you put them next to each other? (laughs) (laughs) Again, ignorance. Uh, uh, But, well, and the the person, uh, the thing I was struck by, and uh, I mean, we haven't gone through the entire list of characters, but that was Patrick Dempsey. Remind me, help me out. That's a name where I feel like, I, I feel ashamed that I'm like, I don't know. Oh, of course, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, I know the name, but I can't place who, what, where. Oh, he's been, um, well, I mean, he was, uh, I forget the uh, the enchanting name they gave him during Grey's Anatomy. Uh, he played a Dr. Shepard in there, but he was like McDreamy or something like that. Okay. <laughs> he was, he was the, uh, he was the heartthrob of that, but I mean. He comes from a long laundry list. Uh, <laughs> as I'm scrolling through, um, interestingly enough, he was in a TV miniseries called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> no way. How about that? Oh, I bet you he was probably the uh, the Kirk Douglas role. Uh, he, uh, According to this, he's in two episodes and he was... Oh, no, he was Pierre Aronnax. He was the assistant to the... No, that makes him the professor, right? Isn't is that who he was? Yeah, that wasn't that Aranax. That would have been the scientist. Yeah, that the would professor. have been the scientist. Oh my gosh! Wow, interesting. Yeah, that was in '97. How about that? One of the ones I know he's no, m- most known for, though, is uh, a movie called uh, "Can't Buy Me Love." Um, okay, one of those '80s heartthrob kind of things. Right. I I seem to recall a scene where he was romantically riding around on a uh, riding mower. <laughs> All right. Fair a, enough. As teenagers would do with their oh their, yeah, of course, to impress their girlfriends. So yeah, this is a a fairly I guess earlier role for him. Um, yes, still in the in the beginning of his career before he goes off to be you know Doctor McDreamy or whatever it was in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yes, 
and I the first photo you see when you pull up IMDb, it's kind of like, oh well, I see why he got that name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he is a handsome man. Yeah, so Dustin Hoffman plays is our star. He plays Sam Daniels. He's a, a army doctor who is a, a I guess a virologist. He definitely specializes in uh, infectious disease. He's the one, and he's not actually called on. He's called on at first, and then co- tried to made stay away because he's just too damn good at his job. <laughs> um, well, and Donald Sutherland, who is the corrupt general, is the one that wants him out of the way and orders. Morgan Freeman's General Billy Ford to keep him out of the way because they don't want them getting to the bottom of the fact that they know all about this virus. They experienced it in like 1967. I mean, the film opens with a flashback to this 1967 event where they find it in this in this small African village, and they you know they take a couple of blood samples and then they decimate the village with a uh, a very large bomb. Where they very cleverly hide uh, the Morgan Freeman and uh, um, Donald Sutherland characters in hazmat suits that can't be seen through. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Donald Sutherland. They do the voice. Um, I don't remember pegging. I remember watching it. I don't remember really picking out Morgan Freeman's voice, but Donald Sutherland was actually the the voice that was the most obvious in that. Yeah, I don't know that. Uh... He did refer to the one with him as Billy, um, mm-hmm. which was... Uh, so I assumed it was him. But I don't recall Billy having a speaking role as that. Uh, maybe I missed it. Maybe they uh, had another maybe actor it, do the younger voice. Possibly. Or it just wasn't enough of a speaking uh, part to uh, really peg his voice. And they may have done something to it to make it sound younger or something. Who knows? Yes, that was that moment where you're supposed to understand that the army has seen this before and they took very drastic measures to uh, to wipe it out in this particular case. Yeah, because as we find out, because this thing has this very fast turnaround, this 24-hour incubation and 100% mortality, pretty much if you catch it within three days, you're dead. So they see this as the perfect biological weapon. And that's why they want to keep it kind of under wraps. Yes. Which we learn more about as the film goes on. Correct. But, uh, yeah, and unfortunately, Dustin Hoffman, because he just has those really great instincts, you know, he uncovers all this stuff. Of course, because he's Dustin Hoffman. You're right. (laughs) Uh, Playing his ex-wife and the scientist uh, herself... Uh, who goes on, I think, at the beginning of the film, she's leaving the house and going to a new job, I think at the Centers for Disease Control. Yep, CDC. Is Rene Russo. Now, this might have been what got... If I went and saw it in the theater, this might have been the reason why, because I did have a little bit of a mid-90s <laughs> crush on Rene Russo. And she was very pretty in this film. <laughs> she, she was, uh, um, and... Well, quite frankly, has gone on to stay that way. I mean, uh, as <laughs> yes. as Thor's mom. <laughs> right, good point. She looked just as good. Compared, I have to keep comparing everyone back to Dustin Hoffman. Sure. They are, they all do fantastic jobs. I was like, God, it must be absolutely painful to actually give the, a real performance and give this emotion and everything, and then you get, okay, I see what you mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Some deadpan response back is like, give me something. I, you know, I thought of it. The uh, jumping back to Dustin Hoffman, 
I, I've heard from actors that sometimes during rehearsals, uh, or any scene that needs a lot of emotion or anything, you hold back because you don't you you want to save it all to when you film it. You know, right. I feel like Dustin Hoffman was always in rehearsal. <laughs> Mate. Maybe that's how this entire movie got shot. It was just a one big rehearsal because whatever they did when they were uh, actually live filming, uh, this is this is the final take. Um, <laughs> me, the director Wolfgang Peterson never actually told Dustin that they were actually okay. This is the one we want. <laughs> <laughs> this is all done in just one take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I did mention Morgan Freeman uh, briefly, but yeah, he plays a uh, General Billy Ford, and you know Morgan Freeman, he's my gosh, he's gone on to be one of these staples in films. I mean, you can't almost have a film without Morgan Freeman in it anymore. Uh, he wasn't quite at that level yet, but I think this was like a, at the beginning, yes, where that was really all starting. I would think so, and from this moment on, if you needed somebody to have that gravity, um, that that grounding to everything around you, you came to Morgan Freeman. <laughs> exactly. Or if you just needed a voiceover, Morgan <laughs> <Yes>. Freeman. <laughs> you need to sell something, and you need to sell it now. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of the scientists, one of the, one of the doctors that are working on this, who is, I think... I believe, was he part of the military? Yes, he was yes. part of the military team uh, playing Casey Schuller was Kevin Spacey, who I honestly, it took me a few seconds to click that that's who it was. He just didn't look like the Kevin Spacey that you go on to know. He had that very close-cut buzz haircut, and it wasn't until he really started talking, they're like, oh, oh, that's that's Kevin Spacey. Interestingly enough, uh, Outbreak is the same year that Usual Suspects came out, too. Wow, interesting. And that's really the maybe the one that, as far as I'm concerned, kind of put Kevin Spacey on the map. I would think so. Uh, so, yeah, way different roles. Uh, he's just the he's just the bit character in this, uh, mm -hmm. and the usual suspects. He's right up front. So, such a weird uh, uh, relationship between those two at the same time in the same year. Right. Uh, yeah. Honestly, in, in this film, he's like quite literally the disposable character <laughs> he is there to like and to watch die <laughs> mm -hmm. another one a, a fresh recruit to the uh the the, the doctor the army team here is kuba gooding jr and again this is before he really breaks all you know breaks everything it's only about uh what two years before he appears in jerry Maguire, and really kind of finds his star yep so and th th I think this is that this is that moment that that movie that gave him the uh, the jumping off onto everything else that that's the one thing that rewatching this I didn't realize just how many there's almost not anybody that's not a star like mm -hmm. I almost want to go and look up the little girl that plays with a monkey toward the end of the movie and see <laughs> find out yeah, she's she's some huge actress now. <laughs> And then, yeah, uh, kind of rounding out the we we talked about Patrick Dempsey as kind of you know the kind of a minor role here and everything, and then uh, rounding out the the main cast is Donald Sutherland as Donald Donald McClintock, uh, who is the uh, the one that was definitely fighting hardest to keep this virus under wraps. 
thing with Donald Sutherland in this, and I I love Donald Sutherland. He can sell me orange juice any day. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I'm almost going to put him in the same category in this as uh, Dustin Hoffman. He is just kind of... Walking through? Yeah, walking through. He's over-the-top, cliche, bad guy, kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean... He's completely devoid of soul, and the character is supposed to be that way, um, but still. <laughs> I mean, there there is no point in this uh, that, that he is not completely 100% committed to being the a, bad guy? a one-dimensional character. I am here yes. to be the roadblock to all things that are good. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, he was definitely pretty cliched. I mean, his his character is the same character that we've seen in hundreds, if not thousands, of movies. Right. And it, it is surprising that that character is often played by big-name stars. <laughs> if, you, if you go back and look, it, that is rarely the... That one guy, you know, that you don't really know his name or anything. That's always, like, this big star. It's like... How? Why? Is it just, you know, it's it's a job, I guess. You know, you you want a new house, so you do outbreak. Uh, <laughs> well, you you've interviewed more actors than I've ever had the uh, the, the <laughs> chance, but um, from what I've just seen uh, over the years of watching actors give tell stories of the roles that they've done, it's the the bad guy's the one that's fun to play. Um, it's true. That's true. And I got a feeling if you're going to make a paycheck um, and you're going to just you get to have fun, you get to be the one everybody hates um, and you can be completely o- over the top about it, then why not? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. And, you know, he does ha- kind of have that voice that if he wants it sounds slimy. Yes. So it, he does. It does work as a bad guy. He does work pretty well as being the villain he has uh i like to think of it as snidely um (laughs) okay (laughs) um it's just the word that comes to to mind the way that he can make what he's saying drip (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like what i am saying everything about it is terrible and awful but you're going to take it because I'm me. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great description. <laughs> now, we did say that we thought, you know, they kind of uh, portrayed the, the panic and some of the, uh, uh, just the, the panic, I guess, of, of this virus and among, you know, the, the populace and, and how the, the general populace would take it. I think they did that really well. As with most shows or movies that are based around any kind of medicine, the science is a little wibbly wobbly. <laughs> you, you mean the the notion that uh, we can magically find the monkey that that carries? Well, the- not even not even if you know we can find the monkey. That's just like detective work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is like something that could have been done in an hour of Rockford Files <laughs> or something, you know. Um, but the uh, oh we've 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 got the host and in just a few hours and here's the cure, wow, <laughs> and we're gonna go ahead and start pumping it into people. Hmm, don't think that's how that works. 
it's almost kind of damaging when you have stuff like that in movies because I think that's then how people think it works. And so it's kind of like, oh, we, we've got the solution and all we've got to do is mix this stuff together and inject it into somebody and everyone's safe. Yeah, I mean, using current events uh, as that's what drew us to to do this particular movie at this time. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, all that um, all of that talk that all this boils down to eating like bat soup, or at least that's one of the things <laughs> that right. Um, I I feel there's just this small group of folks that actually truly believes if they go into the into the woods of China somewhere and find the bat, the one bat. And if we could take its blood and then three days later, we can cure everybody. Uh, right. Because now we know, uh, yeah, movies like this do a little damage to that. Uh, um, yeah. It, it, it's legitimately shocking to people when, you know, the, the medical experts come on and says, look, even once we develop, or we think we develop some sort of treatment, a vaccine, it's going to be a year and a half to two years before it's ready for general distribu- distribution because we have to do testing. We have to do, you know, there's all the lab testing. We have to do human trials. You know, it's going to be two years before there's a legitimate vaccine right. for the COVID-19. And I think that shocks people because they see things like, well, we've mentioned like Grey's Anatomy. Right. Uh, we, they've seen things like ER. They've seen things like Outbreak, where they can do it in a day. Right. And that uh, the thing, uh, the one saving grace I will give Outbreak for all this and where they hung their hat on is the fact that it's been, what, 20, 30 years uh, since they found the original uh Mm-hmm. Almost 30 years, because it was, what, 67? I think it was 67 in the film, yeah. Yeah, so it's almost 30 years since then. And during that 30 years, they had managed to come up with the serum that would cure the one that they found in 1967. The, right, the original virus. So mm-hmm. they had plenty of that on hand, because they needed that as the anti um, the anti-contagion for in case u.s troops were in the areas of africa Um, right so so at least when they're making this serum the notion that they're just building on what they already knew i could suspend a little disbelief on on some of that but yes uh the and and the fact that since this thing kills people in a day or two um Mm -hmm. Going to human trial right then and there, I can I can get on board with that because either way, what's going to happen? They're going to die. Um, mm-hmm. These people are dead whether you do anything or not. So um, I get that they might skip a few steps. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But again, yeah, that's that notion that we can magically find this one little silver bullet and, and now we can cure a town and make enough of it in the period of time that you have to actually save these people. I did appreciate the story that, you know, when they finally, um, Morgan Freeman, uh, Billy Ford here is the one that finally, uh, or orders this serum. Yes. The original serum to actually be shipped to this town. And of course, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character doesn't know anything about it. He's never seen this stuff before. He's never heard of this stuff or whatever. And they discover that, 
you know, they're supposed to help, you know, whatever. But then they discover that this virus has mutated. Yeah. And so the original serum won't work. But I, I like how they did that, where they they have this uh, this timeline, and they think, okay, well, here's the solution. But then just as they come up with that, the rug gets pulled out from underneath them. You know, it, the, the unpredictability factor kind of plays its hand. And I think that unpredictability factor, I think, works really well in, in this film at that moment. And in a couple other moments as well, but particularly that. No, uh, yeah, that 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 was the little twist, that little dig that, uh, um, uh, particularly when you've got the the Donald Sutherland character and Billy's kind of not sold on how bad the Donald Sutherland mm-hmm. character is, uh, but uh, you think, okay, this is how we get out of it, and that twist is what makes this movie work. Right. And it's the fact that had they moved earlier, they might have been able to stop it. They knew what it was at the beginning. You know, as soon as this thing started hitting people, uh, General Ford and General McClintock knew exactly what it was. They could have issued this serum and they could have stopped it dead before it mutated. Yes. And they didn't. And I think that was where... uh, That's where it was designed so we would really start looking at McClintock. Okay, he is the evil one. Yes. You know, there is no doubt in our minds now that he's the evil one because it was his fault that this wasn't done earlier and everything. And it gives the Morgan Freeman character, the the General Ford, it gives him the little bit of, um, uh, uh, what's the word? The uh, redemption. Yes. A little bit. It gives him that redemption moment. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, in the follow-up movie, we find out that uh, the McClintock character... Um, actually was uh, being uh, funded by the or uh, by the company that made that big firebomb. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to keep using it because he yeah. really loves that thing. <laughs> I forget uh, I forget the actual description of the bomb, but apparently it what they call it and what it does is two different things. <laughs> Uh, if, if you believe uh, some of the IMDb trivia, uh, you know, take all that stuff as you will. There isn't actually a ton of trivia on this, at least not on IMDb, other than this is what they did to make the animal do this. And this is how they made the animal safe. And this is like, <laughs> okay, we get it. No animals were harmed. We get it. <laughs> yes, they didn't actually shoot a monkey with a dart. <laughs> no. But uh, other than that, the only other trivia is just pretty much that's not actually the biggest bomb that we have that's not nuclear, and that's not what it's called, or that's what it's called, but that's not what it does. And I'm like, okay, interesting, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, people get hung up on those things. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm always, the IMDb trivia sometimes, it's kind of like, well, the plane that's used was actually pulled out of service three years before this film was made. I'm like, oh, well, I- okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I saw something on uh, the range of the helicopter that Cu- yes, Cuba yeah. Gooding Jr. flew around, and yeah, it would never have done that. <laughs> how do you how do you like that a, a film that's all about a viral ape outbreak still manages to work in a chase scene? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> helicopter chasing, even get a chance to fire off a couple missiles. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to admit, even uh, rewatching that, uh, I, I I did become a little mystified by their helicopter. The fact that they flew it out to sea, <laughs> they they 
they they skip they they Dustin Hoffman departs from the helicopter onto uh, a lifeboat on on this thing so that they can track down where the monkey came from. Um, mm-hmm. They conveniently skip over the part where he of gets how he back got back on because. <laughs> <laughs> Cuba Gooding, I even remember it because Cuba Gooding Jr. says, well, just get them to clear me a spot. And uh, I remember distinctly watching as they flew around the boat. I'm like, there's no spot. <laughs> yeah, where, where are you going to move all those cables and antennas and, and everything that is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, they conveniently skip over how he gets back on board. And then uh, he flies to a TV station. <laughs> <laughs> the thing's still essentially powered up the entire time while they're doing that because they got to make yep. the fast getaway. They managed to park it to get the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good thing that this this uh, house where they finally where they discover that this monkey might be has a really big front yard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they land a helicopter in it, and then they make their fast getaway from the house, but then manage to go into the chase scene. Uh, with the two other helicopters. And still have enough fuel to take off later to face down the incoming plane. Yes, absolutely. I mean, because clearly there must have been a uh, uh, a little a refueling station in that town for helicopters. <laughs> yeah, probably. In the, middle, someone just came... in the middle of the intersection where they landed it. <laughs> yeah, someone came by with a jerry can and topped it off for them. <laughs> how, how nice of them. Uh, so, yeah, so some of the science is a little uh, wibbly-wobbly. Some of the uh, military is a little wibbly-wobbly. Uh, all in all, though, it still ended up being, I have to admit, it was a decent film. It was an entertaining film. Oh. I mean, I had a hard time. I still have to, like, get around the Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, but at this point, that just becomes kind of a, um, that's a laughable moment. Uh, I mean, he's doing... A, a a workable job. It's just you're not. He, he kind of sucks you out of it a little bit. Like you don't actually care about what you're saying, but but the rest of the film and uh, and like I said, the the stuff that they do with the non actor, the non main actors, the stuff they're doing in the town with the people and all that, the backdrop stuff is really amazing. Yeah, and it's that's the stuff that I think is really amazing. It's really powerful uh, when you you see them. You know, they're they're taking them through the hospital, or they're going. They're using the school or whatever is kind of like a a, a place to uh, the the prep the people, figure out all right who's got it, who doesn't, set send in their separate ways, and then you pan back and you see like the uh, the the tent, the camp, you know, the setup, the little tent village, mm-hmm. you know, set up in the sports uh, fields. And you hear the announcements that, you know, once you go, once you're assigned to a tent, don't leave your tent and all this. I'm like, that's the powerful stuff. That's mm-hmm. the stuff that's kind of like chilling. It's chilling and, well, right now, a little poignant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, this was 1995. And while I'm thinking of, like, during Katrina and when they housed people in in the uh, in the stadium uh while they were the just the the mechanics of it all and all that it just this was kind of an early in view in an entertainment setting of what we end up starting to see a little more regularly than we like <laughs> right 
Yeah, I, I, I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, well, it's a really good thing that COVID-19's, you know, mortality rate is, you know, still in single digits, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on average. Um, because, I mean, can you imagine if something like this came around where, you know, if you catch it, there's like a 90% chance you're not going to live. What would that do to our society? We've seen what it's doing to our society now with a single digit mortality rate. Yeah. Uh, that... It, that's where I think this film is the strength of this film is it's you know if you actually pay attention, it starts you thinking. Um, which is why it was interesting to rewatch now. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm drawn to the scene where they're in the war room, and they're essentially going over what the spread of this would look like. Um, which is why he's trying to make the point about we need to use the firebomb. We have, right. we don't want to destroy an entire American city, but we kind of need to. Otherwise, this is everywhere. And um, if it was something like this, there's no way around it. We're just done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Is seeing this film, you saw how you know it ends. They they claim you know we've we've got the serum. You know, okay, at the point that Dustin Hoffman and uh, Kubuguni Jr. are in the helicopter, they're facing down the incoming plane that's going to drop this bomb on this small town to wipe out this this bomb will supposedly just destroy everything in a hundred mile radius. But at that point, they don't actually know that the serum is going to work. Right. So. Is the right choice made by those pilots to not drop that weapon? That that is a fantastic question because uh, well, it, this this harkens to what I know about ha- my time in the military and all that. Those two pilots probably don't know enough on either side to make an informed decision one way or the other. They're a, mm-hmm. they're a trigger. Uh, Somebody else is pulling it. Um, right. So <clears throat> that's a tough one. Um, given the circumstances, I, I would say they were probably in the wrong. They probably needed to drop the bomb just as ordered based off of what they knew. Mm-hmm. A, a crazy man in a helicopter sitting in front of them saying there might be a way. I get the humanity part and all that, but there is a larger problem here. This doesn't stay just here. Um, what this movie doesn't um, get into, they tried to do it a little bit, like with the uh, the people trying to make the run out of town and all that. Yes. But um, as history will tell you, a containment is never 100%. Mm-hmm. You can never 100% contain a, a significantly large enough population Um a, a town of this size and all the possible places that this went, there's no way they got it all. I guarantee if there was, if this was real life and they did follow up, maybe they stopped the spread since it was small enough, but you got to figure there's homes with people that are sitting there. that are dead that they didn't even know. Um, they had ever had the thing. Right. And what happens from there? This thing would spread no matter what. So, even the bomb wouldn't necessarily do that as uh, as all the people that picked on the bomb itself. And actually, the uh, 
the special effect would have shown at the end. Because <laughs> when the bomb goes off in the water and they show it against the size of the town, you're like, yeah, you might have wiped out those three blocks over there. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it's because it's it landed in the water. Sure, it's totally yeah. because it's yeah. in the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, uh, there are a few moments in here where it, it does suffer from the fact that this is 1995. Uh, you know, the actual, some of the helicopter chases and stuff like that actually work pretty well. Yeah. I, I think there's actual, uh, if they did model work, I couldn't pick it out. So it looked like a lot of practical, either, even if they did, it's still all a lot of practical. There's no CGI kind of stuff, uh, except for the bomb explosion on what looked like a backdrop of the water. I mean, it, that, that really didn't look very well, very good. It did kind of take you out of the moment there. <laughs> just, just briefly, uh, maybe in 1995, it wasn't anything that you would have picked on, but looking at it now, you're like, Hmm. Yeah. That's a little rough. <laughs> Very much so. But the rest of it though, I, I thought did pretty well. They did some great little helicopter stunts. Oh, I even like the uh, element where, uh, uh, since they weren't going to ever get a chance to fire off and probably wouldn't have fired off directly at, at the other helicopters, the use of, uh, their own rockets to kind of trick them into thinking they had crashed in in the woods. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. That was slick. I like that. I actually really liked because uh, we're talking about the helicopter pilots. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is the is the pilot. He's the you know Major Salt is his character. I actually really like Cuba Gooding Jr. in this. Oh, I loved him in it. I, I mean, he is that very no sir, yes sir, no nonsense. Uh, sort of thing, but as he kind of warms to everybody and in another situation and whatever, he's pretty good with okay. I'm going to throw a little humor in here, <laughs> you know. Uh, the whole uh, what do you mean I'm going to jump? Okay, tell you what, you fly, I'll jump. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like I, I don't even care anymore. There's no, you know, the uh, the, the idea of any is gone. <laughs> rank is gone exactly. Um. And I, what I liked, too, um, with Cuba is uh, he's the one earlier when they're in Africa, they're seeing it, and he has the the violent reaction to seeing the family dying in bed. The, the, the mother... And, oh, yeah. Yeah, the mother and father are already gone, and there's a child sitting between them crying and clearly dying, too. Um and he can't take it. It's it, it's too much. And he panics. He throws up in his mask. Uh, he's ripping it off. Um, the one spot where I thought Dustin Hoffman's character did work was the flight back. Cuba is completely embarrassed and he is having an actual human conversation with him around I can't have you work with me if you're not scared. Um, and Cuba just goes, well, as he's basically holding back tears at that point, says, I'm your man. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was actually a really good scene and a really great line. Yes. No, it was fantastic. And that, that just, uh, that made him one of my favorite characters in the entire film. So yeah, when we get to the helicopter and, well, that wasn't a shining moment for him there in Africa, but now he's in his element. And right. Now he's a badass and he's a smartass. 
And he's like, I'm here to help you get this done. You're going to put up with whatever I'm about to do, <laughs> including how I'm about to fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... I yeah, all uh, the bridge scene over or under. Yeah, and Dustin Hoffman. Um, well, I guess it's your choice. And Kubik <laughs> goes down. You're like, I, I would have chose, chose over. <laughs> that was the one effect uh, moment, though, that did take me out of it for just a brief second. Because, like you said, they didn't do model work, none that I could catch. Uh, but they did do crane work. Because mm-hmm. uh, that moment where the larger helicopter dips into the water um but it's not at speed anymore and it's clear that there's some mechanical arm lowering something that looks like a helicopter body (laughs) so we can skim the water yeah yeah yep yep somebody's towing that (laughs) (laughs) and and if you were to look up there's no prop or anything (laughs) right no, there are some really great scenes there are some really good lines uh another kind of moment that I, I thought was good as, uh, let's see, Kevin Spacey and uh, Dustin Hoffman are uh, prepping to go into uh, one of the uh, research rooms. And this is a, like, level four research room. There is nothing in this room that won't kill you. Mm-hmm. Prepping, they're getting their suits ready, and Kevin Spacey notices a tear in Dustin Hoffman's suit. He's like, oh, what 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 are you doing? You, you, you didn't check your suit. And, you know, and he's got this small little tear in his suit and they and I thought and there's that brief moment is like huh kind of takes your breath away doesn't it and I'm thinking yeah just a just a little <laughs> yeah had you entered that room in that state you were gone right it, it was over but I, I I found it a little amusing that the solution is just to spray it you know spritz it clean it and just wrap some tape around it I'm <laughs> like no 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 I need a new I'm, suit I'm, I'm I'm I need a new suit <laughs> in fact I might need a new line of work <laughs> <laughs> in fact nobody wants this suit anymore I just soiled it <laughs> right yeah that's exactly what I like even if this suit didn't have a hole in it right now <laughs> I need a new suit. <laughs> You have to watch the whole film to understand that that was a foreshadowing moment as well. Right. And that's actually, it does, in that moment that it foreshadows, uh, Kevin Spacey and character, who, who, um, you know, they're they're all exhausted. They've been working for who knows how long without any sleep. He's trying to do some research, and he realizes he's, like, literally falling asleep on the uh, microscope. And he goes to leave the room, and his air hose gets caught, and it ends up tearing the suit and he quickly panics and leaves the room and dis you know disinfects and everything i feel like that was kind of the script said so kind of moment yeah i i really feel like no this guy is supposed to be a professional this is the stuff that he does for his life he knows the the risks he knows what any of this stuff he knows what this thing can do the fact that he hides the fact that he may be now infected I think was uh, a poor decision on the, the the script's part. Yeah, I mean, I I love the moment the 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 tear thing. I mean mm-hmm. that that's actually a a moment that you feel you feel the chill. So it's a, it, it's an oh shit moment. It, yeah. it is totally an oh shit moment. You 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 know he's done because they're not close, uh, and he knows he's done. But 
yeah, his uh, his reaction is not quite. Uh, I, I get the panic on the way out, but I, I just don't see him being who they made him out to be. Because they give that they give that role to uh, Rene Russo, who ends up getting uh, pricked by a needle while she's trying to draw blood from um, from Kevin Spacey's character when he finally does collapse and they realize that he's infected, and she gets pricked and she goes through and she looks and. Sure enough, she's been, you know, there's blood on, you know, in her, on her finger. And she resigns herself to it. Like, no, look, I'm I'm infected. Yep. And I I feel like I just I really feel like that should have been Kevin Spacey's uh reaction and, as well. And I think it it would have paid off more um if they had done both of them still kind of like they did only if Kevin Spacey's had become, uh, he could still be emotional, but decided to go analytical about it. Go, okay, you now have me as a case to follow right here, right mm-hmm. now, with a guy that actually knows what's happening. Right. So, I, I can give you the, the scientific uh, explanation of what's happening as it's happening to yes, me. Yes, let, let, let me feed you every bit of information I can about the symptoms as they come on, what, what I'm feeling where. What, right. what, what is happening? Let me exactly, because be that is something. Aid. Yeah, that that is something that, that that could have been used in order to help earlier detection yes. of someone that might be infected. And and it would have been that extra sad moment. I think it would have brought a little more uh, gravity to his death. That, yeah, that he was busy. He was busy helping right up to the point where they were close, where we're we're getting to the climax, where. We're going to have that moment where we're going to figure it out. But he is he is just moments short of, mm-hmm. of making it to the end as Rene Russo now has to carry the ball to the end. It, yep, it, absolutely. It, it could have there could have been more impact there. Yep. Yeah, because he was, like I was saying, the disposable character. We didn't know anything about him other than that he was on the team and he's a bit of a wisecracker. And well, that's about it. That's all I know about him. He did. So get, he did get one of the better lines too. <laughs> which would that be? Uh, that would be where where he pointed out how many brain cells did oh. <laughs> did did I just kill? And, and he says, "Oh, well, I guess I just makes me about as smart as you now." <laughs> and as he's saying that to the Dustin Hoffman character, I'm like, that was awesome. I like that. Yep. <laughs> yes. That's a great moment. If you got to die, that's a way to go out. I don't know if there's anything else I have to say about Outbreak. Um, yeah, it's still an enjoyable film. Oh, I did want to pull up a few comments that I... Uh... Oh, did we get some feedback? Uh, not so much feedback, just a couple, you know, where I uh, posted that I were that I had watched it and asked if anybody had any comments or anything. I'll just give a few people's impressions. Yeah, whenever I watch any of these films, I post on my personal Facebook uh, page or my personal Facebook account uh, profile. I post it in the Time Shifters Facebook group, and I also post it to uh, Twitter that I'm watching it and ask, you know, ask if there's anyone else with any comments or anything. We did get a, a few. Uh, Yasmin Angarola says that uh, this movie made me terrified of cute monkeys for years. <laughs> <laughs> must have been terrifying to watch Friends, the early episodes. 
<laughs> I was going to say, we haven't actually mentioned really the monkey much, but yeah, this is the same monkey that was Ross's pet in the early seasons of Friends. And I think, didn't they actually do an episode where uh, where Marcel, wasn't that his name? Yeah, Marceau, Marcel. Marcel, Marcel, the monkey actually stars in Outbreak 2. Oh, I, I do remember that now. Oh my God. <laughs> That's too funny. Actually, isn't that how uh, Marcel leaves the show? Becomes a star? I think that's, that plays into it. I think he gets rid of him just because he's you know it's illegal to actually own this thing anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, if I remember right. But at, at some point or another, he does become a star. And yeah, he stars with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in Outbreak 2. That's right. <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. Because <laughs> I think even Joey gets a bit part that he can't get right. And so eventually he just ends up being dead guy number four or something like that. Yeah, and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme ends up uh, in a, like a love triangle with uh, the two girls. <laughs> Something. Anyway, we also heard from uh, Billy Flynn. He said, it's a fun ride. He says, melodrama gets a bit heavy. I would agree. You mentioned that a little bit, too, oh, with yeah. the, the, the relationship between Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo. A little bit. Mike Forgetto says, there are no flaws. It is perfect. <laughs> I've seen it a hundred. I've seen it hundreds of times. Everything makes total sense. I'm assuming he's not being sarcastic. <laughs> I don't know. It's coming off. A, uh, Mike, you're gonna have to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm doesn't work so great in uh, Facebook. Chris Cree says they always gotta blame the monkey. <laughs> it's always the monkey. And uh, Rod Barnett says it's fun but extremely dumb. I've never rewatched it till. Uh, rewatched it, so I can't. So he doesn't know. So he doesn't know how it's aged. But I suspect the worst. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's the worst. No, and I actually I think it's uh, having watched it again. I, I think it's held up rather well. I didn't feel taken out of it. I, I felt um, other than obvious technology differences between '95 and now. Um, you could almost retell this as is today. Yeah. Yep. Um, Matt chimed in on Twitter. He says it does a good job of showing the panic in society, but the science, quote unquote, is too easy. And movies like this lead people to think that it really is that simple, which we've we've yeah, discussed already. So on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, a Todd Anderson on Twitter says. Um, it's a crazy time. Outbreak is a terrible movie, but I do enjoy the moment where Cuba tells the soldier guy to help his coworker to take a leak with that weird military hand gesture. <laughs> that's a very... That's an odd thing to pick out of that film. <laughs> it is. It is, but that is that is hilarious. It's funny what sticks with people. Oh, yeah. I, I know. Uh, I, um, having it playing in the background as we're having our conversation, as I like to do... Um, I'm also marveling at, at just how much, as soon as anyone is wearing a pair of camis, uh, that everybody else takes them seriously. So they just mm. did the rush into the uh, the uh, TV station, and they're wanted men, but yet the fact that they're showing up as army soldiers, uh, everybody gets out of their way. Well, it's also because they've also uh, are being told by General McClintock that they are infected. Of course. So everyone's, yeah, that's another one of those moments where I think the film's sort of like, well, the script says so, because even though their faces were just on the screen and everything, 
giant rooms full of people aren't immediately going to click that, hey, that's them. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my gosh, they're infected. Back away. You know, it doesn't. I don't, it does, I don't think it happens that way. Well, yeah. And how many times have you seen the face of some person that you're supposed to be afraid of and actually noticed them in person ever? Like, yeah. I, I, I've seen countless things on, on TV, in the news and all that, and I don't know that I could pick any of them out of a crowd. Yeah, right. Later. If you bumped into them on the street, you'd be like, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Can I help you get that? You know, in the, at the store or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And a two-dimensional image on your TV compared to the actual flesh and blood person showing mm-hmm. up. <laughs> it's usually two different things. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but anyway, thanks for everybody who, that, that made any comments or anything. Much, uh, much appreciated. Yes. And, and I think, you know, that kind of sums everything up uh, pretty pretty well. So, yeah, this has been a fun watch. I, I don't, I'm not sad that I watched it again. I'm not, I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, I wish I had watched that sooner. 20, 30 years. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, you know, we can probably revisit it again in another 20 or 30 years. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Probably be about the next time I watch it again. Uh, it was a fun yeah. watch, uh, but I'm not drawn. This is not my right. This is not my. I'm bored on a Saturday afternoon. I'm just gonna watch this. Right. Yeah. I'm not. Gonna, I'm. I'm not at all interested in rewatching it. You know. Now that I've seen it again, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I've seen it again. Great. Moving on. Ready for the next film. <laughs> Well, we haven't really discussed what we're going to do next time, so we'll we'll discuss that, uh, I guess, offline. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and you know, Tom, thank you for joining me and watching this film. And I'm glad I'm glad we both enjoyed it. I mean, it, yes. it's for a film that neither one of us have watched since it was released. <laughs> uh, that's you know a daunting task of like, oh my gosh, that that could have this could have gone a very different direction. <laughs> And it would have been fun if it had to. <laughs> it would have been just as fun. That is true. Just in a very different way. Very. <laughs> so anyway, uh, stay safe, everybody. You know, do the social distancing thing. Uh, stay home if you can. This is not a joke. I mean, this is the stuff. Don't think about whether you're going to get infected. Just assume you are and think about not infecting somebody else. And even if you are in, not in the demographic that need to worry about it as much, um, think about the people next door, across the street, family members that might be. I mean, it is very serious. Take it as such. And uh, hopefully we want all the listeners to come back at the back end of this, you know, healthy and 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 happy. Yes, I wanted to take a moment. Uh, this was not meant as a flip moment uh we realize that this movie um parodies what we're actually living right now we watched it for fun and it is a fun film but we're actually living in a very serious moment right now um take the advice of uh healthcare providers seriously um you are you are staying in place one to help family and friends to those that are uh um, more susceptible to the uh, to the symptoms of this disease, but you're also there for the health work care workers that do not need to be overwhelmed by us being stupid. So yes, yeah, keep that yeah, in yeah mind. think yeah, think about it as this: uh, you've you've probably seen these charts and and you've heard the term flattening the curve. It's really come down to a matter of it isn't so much as important as not 
necessarily catching or being, being infected by this thing, but spreading out the amount of infections so the healthcare workers and the hospitals and everything can manage. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want the, the outbreak scenario where we have dozens of people crammed into a small room because there isn't anywhere else for them to go. We don't need, you know, the tent cities set up outside in somebody's uh, football field or anything like that. That's what we're trying to avoid. That's what the the medical profession is trying to avoid. And that's, you know, think think about that. Yes. So with that, I think, you know, we will try to come back with a little uh, something a little uh, less heavy <laughs> in a couple weeks. So until then, thanks, everybody. Stay safe, and uh, we will talk to you next time.